Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Terrence Malagone. Coming up on this week's episode, two segments. First up, Adnan Verk and Mike Lombardi. They are now co-hosting a new podcast called The GM Shuffle. That podcast is um, a Cadence 13 podcast, the same podcast company that uh, does mine. So a little bit of crossover here as the Cadence 13 people, much like The Godfather, maybe an offer I couldn't refuse. So Adnan Verk and Mike Lombardi coming up in the first segment. And um, not only do we talk about this podcast, but we get into Adnan being fired by ESPN his thoughts on this. I think you're going to be interested in what he has to say. We follow that up with John Orand. He is a regular on this podcast from the Sports Media Journal and Sports Media Daily, their fine media reporter. The conversation there is about ABC and uh, trying to be a player when it comes to the upcoming NFL packages. Will ABC get a Super Bowl? That's a very, very interesting story in sports media. We also talk about the CBS WNBA deal. CBS and the CBS Sports Network will now air 40 WNBA games. Very good deal, I think, for both. John gets into the reporting that he's done on Sinclair, who, as we tape this, are the leaders in the bids for the Fox-branded RSNs. And then we finish up with Abigail Disney's comments on Bob Iger and corporate compensation at Disney and how ESPNers, who were laid off over the last couple of years, would feel about seeing Bob Iger pulling down, you know, 60 plus million dollars in compensation in a single year. So, Adam Burke, Mike Lombardi, John O'Rand, all coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, Adnan Burke and Mike Lombardi are co hosting a new podcast. It is called The GM Shuffle. The podcast is being done by Cadence 13, the same company that does this podcast. And I was happy when I received an email from Cadence 13 executives to say, would you like to have these guys on? Uh, you know, obviously the hostage situation that they put me in uh, probably helped as well. <laughs> we made you an offer you but couldn't refuse, d- Richard. Well done. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, 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 it's Incredibly enough, there was a, a racehorse in my bed. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. Uh, it's very scary stuff. All right. But, but seriously, Adnan Burke and Mike Lombardi are co-hosting a new podcast called The GM Shuffle. So far, the reviews are really good. Let us give their quick resume. Adnan Burke is the host of DAZN's Change Up MLB Whip Around Show, as well as a host at the MLB Network. He worked for ESPN for more than a decade, and we will get into some of that on this podcast. Mike Lombardi is a longtime NFL executive who has worked for ESPN, CBS Sports, Showtime, the NFL Network, Fox Sports, Sports Illustrated, The Ringer, and now The Athletic, in addition to his Cadence 13 podcast that he's doing with Adnan. And Adam Burke and Mike Lombardi, Mike Lombardi join me today on the Sports Media Podcast. How are you guys? Doing great, Rich. Let's get this out of the way first. The reason I'm doing this is because Jamel Hill was on the pod last week. And thanks to her, by the way, very kind words she said about me. And I support her as well. Jamel Hill is on Bother. Check out her podcast. She's sensational. But she's been on your podcast, this one and the previous one, Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, I believe three times. Her and I are neck and neck. So I'm just doing this to vault ahead in terms of being a trivia question one day. Who was the most often the guest on the Richard Deitch podcast? And Lombardi's here to really bring the humor and the heart, I think. I, I don't know. No, I was just listening to read my resume. I'm like, gosh, oh, money. I didn't know I worked those, those many places. I appreciated it. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Adnan. The similarities between you and Jamel pretty much end with the downloads and number. <laughs> so she'll be back. She is wildly popular. I am not. That's where, that's where things <laughs> stop. <laughs> she, she will absolutely be on. All right, I'm going to try to address you both here. Uh, let us start off with, um, with you, Adnan. How did this podcast come together? Well, it was great, Rich, to what... <sighs> happened because Cadence 13 kind of kind of jumped all over it. You know, after everything I went through at ESPN, you know, you don't know what your job prospects are going to be. You're not sure where you're going to end up. And Cadence 13 was actually my, my first meeting on my comeback trail, so to speak. And uh, as soon as I walked in here at the offices that we're taping here in Manhattan, uh, they couldn't have been more supportive. You know, Chris Corcoran and, and John McDermott and our producer, Joe, and the entire team, they're like, listen, um, whatever happened at ESPN happened. We're a huge fans of your work, and uh, we'd love to put you and Michael Lombardi together. And uh, I knew Mike's work a little bit. I knew he'd been at the Ringer. I haven't read his book. I'm going to get around to that. But I said, sure, I'd love to meet him. And I'm a huge NFL fan. I'd covered college football for five years at ESPN. But NFL was uh, one of my favorite sports, lifelong Eagles fan, all the rest of it. So we come in here, and everyone's you know pretty supportive and friendly. And then Mike walks in here. 
And literally, he's he has the room in stitches. I mean, you talk about um, a force of energy and a guy who just commands the room, whether you like it or not. He He's that guy, and he's just got stories for days. And this was right after the whole Robert Kraft situation. So, of course, Mike being a, a plethora of information, having worked for the Patriots and just being a funny guy, um, like I, I could tell you, he, he had the room. And I said, because being a true ham who hadn't been on TV for like a month, I said, let's go tape something right now. And Corcoran's like, sure, let's do it. So literally, Mike and I went in the studio, and we did about a 21, 25-minute podcast. This was February 27th. And literally after that, Corcoran's like, okay, we'll release it this day, we'll do this. And I'm like, wait, did I get the job? Like, <laughs> like, like normally when you're unemployed and you're going to go get work, you're waiting for that moment where they say, congratulations, here's your paperwork, here's HR. No, no, we already had the job, we rubber stamped. So it was one that was with great gratitude and elation to Mike and, and to the whole Canes 3rd team. But also, it had to be a secret, because you and I are sitting on it, texting each other, saying, when can this thing start? Yeah. We need to wait for everything else to come together. Yeah, no, it was, you know, we kind of keep it secret, but it was awesome, because you start off that day with, I, I, I love the Sopranos, and that's really all I needed to hear. And then we went launched right into it, and it was... Really, it was a great conversation, and it was exciting for me, you know, having come from the ringer with Tate Frazier and, and really enjoyed my time there. But then to have somebody we could talk some movies about, especially The Sopranos, because, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with the millennial crowd, they don't quite know The Sopranos. Oh. So it was good. It was fun, and I, I, it was great. I mean, we, we've done it with no uh, rehearsal. Yeah, we've made it very clear here, Rich. I know everyone's obsessed with Game of Thrones. I don't know where you're at on this, but we're, we're down on – on Dungeons and Dragons and incest. <laughs> we, we like to focus on the heavyweight of all time, which is the Sopranos. Give me your Uncle Junior line, Mike. Well, you know, sometimes some people are so far out of the race, they actually think they're in the lead. And I think that's true with a lot of NFL teams. <laughs> I think it's true with a lot of this situation. So it was good. I, I mean, look, it's always good to have a banner back and forth with somebody where you can use analogies that we're in a business that is a professional, it's a, it's a business. And to use the, 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 the pop culture references to help explain to people to see it makes it so much better. And, and that's what we've been able to do so far on our, our shows. Rich, I knew I would love Mike as soon as he was talking about Brock Osweiler and he called it the Lufthansa heist, which is, of course, a reference to Goodfellas. And I can just picture Henry Hill in the bathroom <laughs> screaming, Jimmy! I said, that's when we were going to get along well. And everybody died. That's the other part about the Latanza. Everybody around the Latanza <laughs> heist got killed. And everybody around Brock Oswald has basically been assassinated. Poor we're out of jobs. Uh, poor yeah, stack, that's not a parallel. That, yeah, that's not a parallel I would have uh, expected, but uh, but well done. Mike, What um, you have done many podcasts before and certainly at a prominent place such as The Ringer. What do you want this podcast to be? And maybe more importantly, how do you break through amid all the other NFL pods? Well, I think you break through by honesty. I think that the, the one thing I've learned in life, uh, I read Neil Simon's book, Rewrites, years ago. And Neil Simon was having trouble for people that don't know. Neil Simon is a great playwright because I have to explain this because many millennials don't know who he is. Not enough Lost and Yonkers fans out there. Yeah, there's not enough of of Goodbye Girl and (laughs) Marsha Mason and all that. But anyway, he wrote in his memoirs, he said, you know, I had trouble writing, I had trouble writing uh, plays because I wasn't making the characters interesting enough in Act 1 for the audience to want to see him in Act 3. And I think this podcast is going to be interesting in Act 1, and you're going to want to stay around for Act 3 because we're going to talk unfiltered sports NFL talk. As you know from... My career, I don't really hold back. There's no sense in holding back. I'm 30-some-plus years in the league. I've got three Super Bowl rings. I don't really – I have no intention of going back. I don't want to go back. I want to have this second career in life, and I want to be able to get to act three with the audience. Adnan, what – at at the moment, what is your schedule in terms of when you will release? And ideally, what would – between, obviously, the conversations that you and Mike will have – what would be what would be an ideal what would be an ideal guest for the GM Shuffle? Well, I think what we're going to do, Rich, is the key is consistency, as you know. When you're at SI or now, you know, working for the Athletic in Toronto and doing this podcast through Cadence 13, I think the key is consistency. So for us, you know, we've taped the first couple of weeks here on a Monday and released it on Wednesday, but I think generally we're going to tape it on Tuesday, release it on Wednesday, and go from there. And I think the key is just trying to spread the word. And as Mike said, you, you know, you build an audience and just kind of spread the word what we're going to be doing. But I think if you can go weekly, you know, one thing I learned from ESPN, and I was there for almost nine years, is that the NFL really is a year-round sport. And I don't know if that's accurate of all the other sports. But in the NFL, there's always something to talk about. There's no dead period. You know, I hear some people say after the draft, it's a little bit quieter, but Mike and I were even joking about that. So that's when we can get really loose. Like That's when he's just going to tell me Al Davis stories. We're going to laugh and <laughs> talk about Paul Newman and the verdict and stuff that we're into. And then, you know, the, the easiest shows, as you know, are during the sports calendar. So NFL season's a breeze. We're going to walk in here on Tuesday and say who's good, who's not, power rankings, etc. So I actually think the summer shows are going to be fun because 
um, we're going to be able to show more personality. And, and as you know, with podcasting, Rich, it's all about personality and allowing people to, to kind of see where you are. Uh, by the way, you know, the verdict, the James Mason lawyer gets a little bit too much love in terms of uh, of being a great lawyer. He actually fucked that case up. As great as Newman was, he really actually made some critical mistakes, even though, um, you know, even though he gets sort of love if you're watching the verdict in the room. Anyway, but how, Mike, how, how about, how about um, when Nurse Costello gets called up there and she talks about the fact that they fudged the Caitlin, report, they Caitlin, changed the number. Yeah, how did Mason screw that? Mason shouldn't have had her up there, right? Right, never. Caitlin Costello is the hero of that movie, in addition to Newman, obviously. I always right, thought Mike. the judge's haircut was the key to that movie. Milo but... <laughs> O'Shea's hair is unbelievable in that movie. Yeah. Milo, a very good Boston, uh, Boston judge there. Oh, yeah. Mike, uh, what you have worked, obviously, for many media outlets at this point after your NFL career. What have you learned about the media, uh, having been on both sides, having been someone who um, – who sports writers and sports broadcasters will talk about, and then obviously being somebody who is on the media side talking about the people who are in the NFL, either personnel people, coaches, players, et cetera. I, I think straight talk really, as long as it's researched, I don't think it's you know just to come out of left field and say something, but I think if you're honest and you have facts to make, base it up, I think people crave knowledge about the NFL. I wrote about this in my book. People that watch the NFL, especially some of the commentators, this is why I think Tony Romo has been so successful. Very few people in the NFL play offense and defense. In basketball, Barkley played offense. He plays defense. He knows the whole game. But to understand the whole game is more complex in football. And I think the one thing I've learned through my time from the time I was with Jim Nance on the NFL Today when it just came back, is people crave knowledge. They crave more information about this sport, about how it works, the inner workings of how teams do it, how they draft, how coaches think. And I think that's something I can provide and have tried to provide in my career. It may upset some people because you say some things, but I think at the end of the day, the political argument is always people's give their opinions one way or the other and nobody gets offended. In sports, if you say something bad about somebody, you're an outcast. And I think to me, you're only going to gain credibility with your audience if you're honest throughout the whole throughout your whole episode. And at this point, would you call this a B minus segment or a C plus? <laughs> I think we're C plus trending towards B minus, but I'm waiting for more Canadiana to come in here. Because now, Rich, listen, you were always, I think, in your own words, a wannabe Canadian. Now you are a full fledged Canadian, working for the Athletic, living in Toronto. Even though Rick Riley thinks you and Michael Farber are walking the streets together at Queens Key West, I mean, now that you're a Toronto guy, I want you to test your CFL knowledge here with Mike. I want you to see really go deep here with the the Argonauts, which I know is you're you're, you're all in on the Raptors and Leafs right now, but the Argos do have a part of Richard Deitch's heart. James Wilder Jr. Would you like me to really go deep into the uh, to the artist? <laughs> I love um, it. I love well, it. I think he's. I think he's on the. I think he might be on the Bills now. Actually, I think uh, he is uh, uh, moved on from the Canadian. By the way, the, Bill, the, the Bills. It. The Bills are your NFL team, Rich, because of your years you spent in uh, Buffalo. Is that correct? Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Not, how, no, I don't. How I don't, are you I, feeling about actually, the Bills getting snubbed out of? I, I don't understand how they got snubbed out of having any appearances on TV. They have 14 1 o'clock starts the whole year or something like that, and then they have, what, two that are 4 o'clock somewhere and they don't travel? How yeah, do they, they got they have, they, have a th- they have a Thanksgiving game. Well, first of all, let me l- – listen, I wish, and I, um, I wish for Buffalo teams to be successful because I'm a great fan of the city. I have absolutely no rooting interest in the Buffalo Bills. Um, it's, you know, if they do good or they do bad, it has – uh, no impact sort of on me emotionally. That said, I do feel for that fan base just because it's been a long time. And yes, they're, uh, I don't believe they have a single primetime game. They do have a Thanksgiving game for the first time in 25 years. But, you know, if you're going to be honest, if you're the NFL, why would you put the Bills on primetime? They're not, they're, they're, there are better teams to put in those national windows, I think, that will certainly draw you more viewership. So, I, you know, if you're going to be honest, I feel like if you're the league, you can't put the bills on now until they're until they're better, at least until they have more star power. I actually am fascinated by the Browns this year. I know that's one of your old employees, Mike. There, um, not only do I think they're going to be good, but I think we're going to be in for a five-year run of the Browns being very much a darling team when it comes to the uh, primetime windows. Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody's jumping on the Browns. It's going to be an interesting case study for me in terms of how they come together, chemistry, how the culture within the building lays itself out with Odell Beckham and with Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry and all those combinations. I do. I think, you know, they're going to be the living proof of does talent rule or does teams rule? And I I have always Mm -hmm. lend towards teams. No, that's interesting. That's an interesting interesting observation. All right, Adnan, um, I want to ask you some questions about ESPN. Um, I realize and I understand that you're probably going to be sort of very delicate and political. But first, 
and foremost, here's something you said to the Washington Post. Ultimately, I'm hurt that I was that replaceable for doing something I thought was relatively benign. A couple months later, you still feel the same way, or are you feeling differently about the situation as we taped this on April 22nd, as you might have obviously a couple months ago? Yeah, I I think what's happened, Rich, is that, you know, with the— the, the advantage of time, you're able to kind of create some more separation. And I think ultimately, when I look back at my ESPN career, I have nothing but good feelings towards ESPN, what they did for me. You know, from Laurie Orlando first hiring me, uh, you know, John Skipper, John Wildhacker gave me so many opportunities. Um, Lee Fitting with the College Sports World, Mike McQuaid on Baseball Tonight, uh, Scott Masteller, Pete Genesini on Radio. Like, there, there's so many people I could thank. And I, th- I think what ends up happening is that once you are removed from a situation, and I'm sure you can speak to this with Sports Illustrated, when you look at your tenure there, you know, you focus on the best memories and the stuff that really uh, was special to you and, and, and meaningful. And if someone had said to me, Rich, listen, you're going to be in Toronto, and you know this because OnRight was on your pod, the previous incarnation, and you had said a comment to the effect of, you know, I can't believe Canada ever let Adnan go. And Jay said, let him go. They never gave him much of a chance. Like, I was never a star like Jay Onright and Dan O'Toole. I'm not somebody who's well-known like my boy Cabby or James Duffy or all those guys I worked with at TSN. You know, I was a guy who was just uh, another grinder in, in Toronto, and I was so lucky that, that Laurie wanted to give me a chance at ESPN. And if you could tell me, listen, nine years later, you get to cover four college football national championships, a couple of World Series. Uh, Phil Orleans allowed me to call games at Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field for a long, lifelong baseball lover. It's amazing. I got to fill in on the biggest radio shows like Mike and Mike with Golick, work with uh, Ryan Rosillo and, and so many fun people there. Um, and, and, <laughs> and one of the biggest ones is Keith Oberman's my favorite broadcaster. I actually got to fill in for KO 25 times in one of his many incarnations at ESPN. So I think what ends up happening, Rich, is that once you're removed from a situation, you look at the totality of your career and that the preeminent feeling is one of, of gratitude for, uh, for all that ESPN gave me. And I think it was a, a mutually beneficial relationship. I think I was a guy who worked hard who was uh, exceedingly well-liked by his peers and colleagues, who was very receptive to whatever the company wanted to do. And uh, therefore, because I had a good attitude and was willing to work hard, I was given a lot of opportunities. As you and I both know, talent is subjective. I'm sure there are plenty who will tell me that I stink, that I uh, outkicked my coverage for far too long, and ESPN was right to get rid of me. But uh, I think it really was a good run, and I'm really grateful for it all. All that said, Adnan, if you were a bigger name, do you think you would have been fired? Uh... You know, that's tough to say because, you know, I'm so narcissistic in my own mind. I think I am a big name. So that's probably where that <laughs> comes down to. Uh, but it, it's funny to your point, like, uh, you know, I, I kind of kept I, I did my best to stay away from social media during my six week sabbatical. But I would kind of, to your point, go online here and there and, and see some things. And you're right. I did see a couple of people say, oh, man, I, I don't know why this story is getting so much play. Like, who is this guy? He's the guy that at 4 a.m. tells me that uh, we're moving ahead in the college football coverage. Like, he's really he's just a fill in host on the radio. Like, who cares about this guy? Why is he getting such play? So um, I, I do recognize that people who didn't know me, now apparently do know me. And uh, for those that were fans, I appreciate that they're going to support me wherever I go. Um, but listen, I, I, I think that there's definitely, definitely many layers to it. And uh, like an onion, certainly you can peel away. And, um, you know, I'm I, I, I grateful to you. I, I thought that the podcast you did with Jim Miller, who was particularly impassioned, I thought was fair. I thought it was sensible. I thought you raised a lot of um, salient points about whatever happened. And... Um, at times, I would read some articles and say that they were rife with errors or factual inaccuracies, and I would kind of laugh about it. And I think anybody who's ever lost their job, no matter what circumstances they've been under, realizes that you have to you have to persevere and you have to have a sense of humor about it, whichever way is possible. And uh, ultimately, I had I had three things going for me, which is faith, family, and friends. And those three have never let me down. And uh, even in my my darkest moment, whenever things were harrowing, I was able to rely on on each of those value systems. And uh, was able to emerge. And again, I think gratitude really is the big emotion. I mean, like <laughs> you and I both know agents sometimes, people can th- consider them like a necessary evil. But when I lose a job, you know, my agents were right there for me. You know, Nick Kahn and Matt Olson at CAA, those guys couldn't have been uh, more loyal, um, uh, non judgmental, supportive, uh, confident, which is. Uh, probably a, a characteristic I was lacking in the midst of everything that happened, but they they were like, we got this, like no problem, like you're going to be fine. You're a talented guy, and you work hard, and, and there's going to be other opportunities for you. And thankfully, the GM shuffle and Kane's thirteen is one of them. And to be able to reunite with John Skipper at DAZN, I mean, he was my old boss at ESPN. We always had an excellent relationship. Uh, John one time 
said to me about Dunkirk, he said, oh, you'll appreciate this. It's a lot like a Robert Altman film. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, because it's, you know, overlapping dialogue and cross-current storylines. And we're having this conversation, like, at the Little League World Series in the trailer. I'm like, okay, only I and John Skipper are going to have this conversation. And even the last time I saw John, we were talking about Lady Bird and Coco and how much he and I both like those movies. So I, I look forward to, to re-engaging in those conversations with him. And also Jamie Horowitz, who was an executive at DAZN, who... Um, was the one I met with the day after I met with Cadence 13. He's the guy that I met with who said, uh, you know, obviously, ex- ex- tell me what happened in your words. And I explained it to him. And he said, listen, um, you're our number one choice for this baseball show and zone change up. You don't have to audition. You don't have to explain yourself. We, we think you're a stud. Um, Jamie and I obviously crossed paths a little bit at ESPN, although I never worked on Sports Nation or First Take or those shows. I, I did get to know Jamie a bit because I did fill in on Oberman, as I mentioned, and Jamie used to oversee that show. So he was always really supportive of me. I remember when I would fill in for KO, one time his advice to me, he goes, you know, you're underrated funny. You know, take bigger swings, take bigger chances. He goes, you know, a guy like yourself, I don't think people can appreciate some of the talent level you have. And that's what he said to me four or five years ago. And now he's telling me, listen, DAZN is this emerging power. It's the streaming uh, network, which is the number one sports network in Japan. It's number one in Germany. We're making inroads uh, in the States, and I want you to be the face of it. Um, that's that's awfully comforting, and that's awfully um, generous of him to say. So I think there's, there's lots of thank yous and uh, bouquets of compliments to give out, which I'm doing. And then do you watch professional wrestling at all? I don't. Uh, I know. By the the way, I know you're a big pro wrestling guy. I feel like, although, you know, Robert Flores is at MLB Network and DAZN's Changeup is a co production with MLB Network. So I know Roflo is a big wrestling guy. Greg Colley, who's an old baseball tonight producer, is a big wrestling fan. So I have enough people, Rich, tangentially, who tell me about wrestling, but I myself, I kind of lost the luster back in the days of demolition. And uh, by the way, WrestleMania back in Toronto, I believe, 91, Hogan and Andre the Giant, a famous, famous moment. You're a wrestling aficionado, so you know this, right? Right. The re- First of all, I love that you answered that question so earnestly because I really did not care about your answer. The reason I <laughs> asked that question— I love the junkyard dog, too. Go ahead, Rich. Yeah. The reason I asked that—you basically just, in wrestling parlance, you just cut a promo, basically, on like 25 people from <laughs> Nikon, Matt Olson. I couldn't even follow. Those guys—by the way, your agents are absolutely in Game of Thrones would be members of the Lannister family. No about that. <laughs> are they Tyrion um, Lannister? Is that Peter Dinklage's character? Uh, it's subjective as to which Lannisters they are. Uh, But like you literally just cut a, I can't even follow because you cut a promo on too many people, meaning that you have put over so many people you are now currently work with, which is again, very good strategy in your business. All right, a couple more here and then I'm going to bring Mike back on. Um, How should current, and this is where I realize you're going to have to be a little delicate. How should current ESPNers feel about management's loyalty to them, given that, you were a very loyal, very well-liked employee and were let go pretty much at, at your first transgression, if you want to call it a transgression. Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, Rich, you know, all actions have consequences. And I think ultimately, you know, whenever you work for a company, um, whether you're working for The Athletic or The Fan 590, shout out to Dave Cadeau, Bob McCall, and the whole crew back there in Toronto. I, you know, you're still at, cutting, still cutting promos. <laughs> okay, keep going. But, but Rich, you're at the behest of them, right? Like it, it's a subjective business. Even what we do, right? Like whatever you're on air, people think you're good, you're not good. It really is subjective. So you know, if a new boss comes in, all of a sudden they like you, or they don't like you. You know, there's only so much you can control. So I think you know, in this instance, while I appreciate those who were, were sympathetic to me. Um, and raise the points that you made. I, it's kind of out of my hands, so I, I don't think it's something that you can lose sleep over because you say, um, you know, that was decision that was made. And and while I wish it had been different at the time, you know, I'm really excited with where I am now and and what the adventures that lay ahead. So I think I know it's a, it's a, maybe not the best answer, but I think if you work at ESPN and you have a good relationship with your bosses and it is an excellent environment there, and certainly I miss all my friends there that I worked with specifically. Um, you know, they were always supportive of me. Then I, I think you kind of focus on that and you don't say, hey, what happened to Adnan? You just say, hey, listen, I'm enjoying my job. I'm having a good time here. And I hope that that continues. I, I don't think you want to let something um, external to you affect your enjoyment of the job. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I appreciate that. All right. Two more and then we'll, we will move on. Uh, do you believe ESPN leaked the story of your firing? Uh, you'd have to ask uh, a smarter guy like uh, yourself or Jim Miller or, or Andrew Marshan. He's the guy who broke the story. Andrew obviously is uh, too good a reporter and too smart a guy to uh, reveal his sources. But I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have any deal with that kind of stuff. I'm not smart enough for that. Okay, fair. It's, uh, last one on that. Can you at least confirm that you did not leak it? <laughs> I can't confirm that, Rich. Yes, I did not leak my own uh, termination. 
<laughs> okay, I appreciate that. All right, we will move on to another topic. I appreciate you answering those questions. All right, Mike, one of the things that— um, I feel like Frank Pantangeli things- over here. I'm in the lobby. He's got me waiting in the wait, lobby. Wait till, wait till my brother comes <laughs> in here. He's got me waiting in the lobby. I know. Well, listen, it's too, uh, you know, unfortunately, like we could do a no, solo no, podcast Richard, with Adnan, I, a solo, I, I solo podcast with you, Mike. I'm here. Yeah, I'm, gotta, I'm happy you know, to be here. I'm happy to be here. Time, well, this is, uh, I mean, you know, you have the beautiful Cadence 13 studios in Manhattan. Hopefully they, someone's getting you a drink. Of, yeah. some, uh, <laughs> it's you know. all good. It's the GM Shuffle. Subscribe, rate, review. Yeah. A Kettle One Vodka, I believe they have a bar there. Um, so, Mike, one of the, one of the um, I think I saw this in Peter King's column today as I read, and it was about coaches after the age of 67 and what their records were in the NFL, which I believe is Bill Belichick's age now at 67. And, you know, conventional wisdom would be that um, you, you have to I, – I, let, me, let me rephrase that. You have to throw out whatever your conventional wisdom of is when it comes to what you perceive to be coaches past a certain age because nobody has the resume of Belichick prior to that. So my question for you is, one, realistically, how long do you think Bill Belichick wants to coach? And two – could he be one of the guys where there literally is no drop-off into his 70s versus his 60s, 50s, et cetera? I don't think there will be a drop-off because every season for Bill's a new year, and Bill's not an experienced shortcutter. So, for example, by that I mean Bill doesn't say, hey, look, I've played Buffalo 24 times in the last 12 years. I kind of know him. I don't really need to do my homework this class. Bill starts as if he doesn't know Buffalo. And so the process that that goes into coaching – the, the mechanics that go into doing his craft is truly what he enjoys. It's a little bit like, and I talk about this in the book. Here's a shameless plug for you, uh, Richard. It, I, I call it the born-to-run theory, and, and it's really true. It's what really applies to Belichick. I've seen Springsteen play over 100 times. I've seen, and he's played wow. born-to-run at least 2,500 times in his life. But where Springsteen and Belichick are similar is is they do the same job constantly with the same passion. So if you take Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours and you combine it with Bruce Springsteen's born-to-run theory, you have basically somebody who loves the process. That's Belichick. You go see Springsteen, you would have no idea he's never played born-to-run before. He plays it like it's the first time you've ever heard it. And that's Bill Belichick when the season starts, when that he comes back from – Jupiter after the year, and he's taking his week off, or the Bahamas, or wherever he goes, and he starts again. He starts it all over. Hmm. That, by the way, uh, I seriously have to be the only sports writer who would take uh, Arkell's tickets over Bruce Springsteen. I, I kind of, I feel like that's a good bet. Well, you're, yeah, but you're from. Adnet. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. But, yeah. No, but the rich is right. The rich normally middle-aged white men would just go nuts for Springsteen. So you are an anomaly in that respect. Well, yeah, it's. A, I think you just call me middle age, Adam. That doesn't seem to be fun. Um, all right, Mike. Here is the uh, here is the here is the last one here, and this is actually really interesting to me because I have no idea what would be going on behind the scenes, but you would, given that you've been in these rooms, et cetera. So there's obviously a lot of smoke out there, out there that the Arizona Cardinals are going to draft Kyler Murray uh, first overall. They have a quarterback that they drafted last year in the first round in Josh Rosen. At this point. Let's presume that the Cardinals know what they are doing. Does the Cardinals organization tell anything to Josh Rosen and or his agent? Meaning, um, are are those guys flying as blind as like we are in terms of not knowing anything? Or if they have made the decision to draft Kyler Murray, do they do they do? I don't know how to say this. Do do they? Is there a professionalism to let Rosen know that this is coming and we're ultimately going to try to trade you can you give me just some insight into what the player and his agent know about this well i would tell you from what i would do is there's no sense in telling his agent or him what you're doing up until the time you actually do it now i think he needs Mm. to hear it from you before he hears it from somebody calling it on the draft show whether it's abc espn or nfl network so you call him before you turn the card in and say look here's what we're going to do we're going to make the pick on you know here's the reality and, and lay it out for him but I don't think if you do it on a Monday before the draft, if you tell one person something, you've basically told 11. So then it becomes, you know, it just gets spread. So you have to be real careful about what you tell players. And look, his job, he's under contract. He has a deal, you know, that he's got to honor that contract. You expect him to be professional. If you trade him, you want to let him know before somebody else does. 
Hmm, interesting. All right, Adnan, is there anything else that you want to promote? Is there any other name that you want to drop before I end this segment? Mike, same for you. If if the if you have a a, a long lost friend that you'd like to give a shout out to, as Adnan normally would, please. <laughs> yeah, I've got. By a, all I've, means, I've, got I've got more than a few here. Uh, Cinephile, my podcast, which is the number one thing, Rich. People tweeted to me after my. Uh, Untimely demise from ESPN. What about the pod? What about the pod? So Cinephile will be coming back through Cadence 13, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. Hopefully in time for mid-May. I know you're wow. psyched. By, for- by the way, I, 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 yeah, and first of all, congratulations on the GM podcast doing well. I think I last, I saw it was when I looked today, it was like top 15 or top 20 in iTunes, or I, I should say Apple Podcasts. Let me tell you what Cinephile is, though, for Cadence 13. That's when you hire like a, a high-profile talent who you hired that talent for a certain show. Yeah. The talent wants to do the talent wants to do an absurd side project <laughs> and you just let you let the talent do the side project because you want to let the talent be happy right. with the actual stuff that's going to bring revenue in. So congratulations <laughs> on 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 Cinephile, but let's be honest. You know Cadence 13 and Chris Corcoran are thinking one thing. And they're like, all right, how can we? They they the said, Let, let's get this guy the NFL thing. pod, and then we'll just make him happy and throw <laughs> yeah. this little movie thing, and he'll be excited, right? Like a, exactly, like a kid who gets his cookie. Uh, so Cinefile will be returning, hopefully at some point, maybe mid May. I know you're hyped up for Aladdin, so you know Guy Ritchie's Aladdin film is coming out around mid May. <laughs> uh, Will Will Smith playing the genie. Look forward to that. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And also, you know, I've advocated in the past. You, you never take my advice. Try to get Adam Amin, who's one of the great stars at ESPN, to come on your podcast. He's, yeah, I love Max Bradas. You have interviewed Amin for yeah. The Athletic, but you haven't actually had him on the pod. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, Amin is excellent. That was uh, ESPN made a really great decision putting Amin with uh, Rebecca Lobo and Carol Lawson yeah. on their women's Final Four coverage. That, that you know, I think if, if, you know, ESPN would probably say its best broadcasting team is maybe one of its uh, college football groupings, but I think Lobo, Lobo, Lawson, and Amin are as good as any game broadcasting group that ESPN has. So uh, good, kudos to – I think it was Lee Finning who did that. Kudos to him. Yeah. That's a great team. As good on air, off there, all three of those people are sensational. You know how close I am with Adam, but Lobo is fantastic. She's funny as hell. Obviously, we love Steve Russian, and Kara's a real stud as well. Uh, so I, what I want to mention, though, is McDonough, because Jason Benetti was on the pod previously and did his Sean McDonough right. impression. His impression is so good. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to, to Rich's pod with Benetti. Jason Benetti, who is the voice of the White Sox, he also does college football, college basketball, is a great McDonough. So we were in, like, whatever. I called the Cubs game of Rick Sutcliffe, and we're at the bar, and I go, hey, give me your McDonough. He must have done McDonough, like, for a solid hour. Like, he just, he wouldn't let, like, a comedian just will not stop the joke. Good to see you, too, Adnan. Well, are things with you? And he just wouldn't <laughs> stop. And so it's so good, Rich. I asked him, I said, can you call me and leave a voicemail of you as McDonough? And then I had dinner with Sean McDonough. At the uh, national, at the semifinal, semifinal game in Dallas, and I go, Sean, I got a place for you. He's like, What do you have there? And I'm like, You got to hear this voicemail. And he listens to it. it's 30 seconds of this guy impersonating him, and he looks at me and Sean without missing me goes, Do I really sound like that much of a douche? <laughs> <laughs> but I, Rich, I'm telling you, that's one of the top five impressions that he has been. Everyone knows Benetti does a great McDonough. Adnan, how soon do you think Mike Lombardi is on the phone with Cadence 13 people begging for Ryan Russillo as his co-host? <laughs> I don't think that's – no, no way. I enjoy it. Look, the the, the the good thing is I can listen and learn. You know, it's a, a no, good it's, thing. And McDonough, I mean, you know, Sean, I, th- I thought you did a pretty good one there too, to be honest with you. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah, that was – that. Actually, Adnan, that's a sneaky good Sean McDonough. It is. Appreciate that, guys. <laughs> Not sure what it means coming from both of you, but we'll take it. All right. Let me let me give let me give more of the promo here and then we can move on to whatever my next segment is. Adnan Verk and Mike Lombardi are co hosting a new podcast for Cadence thirteen called the GM Shuffle. They have already uh, they've already put out a couple episodes, including I know one with Peter King. So go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Google Play, radio.com, wherever you can get this stuff. Download that. You can see on this podcast they have already great chemistry. And I think that these guys are going to be successful until Mike demands a higher-profile co-host. <laughs> <laughs> until Rosilla takes the bid. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, one last, this, thought, one last thought, Rich. You had Ron sure, McClain on, who, of course, is a legend in Canadian. So right. can, you get, can you get my buddy Cabby on? Cabby is an enormous star. We go way back to Ryerson. I've known him for 20-plus years. He's getting married this summer. Get Cabby on the pod. If you want some Canadian audiences, he'll get you huge ratings. I do, yeah, I, I, I sort of like I have to. I sort of do one Canadian every like ten weeks, yeah. uh, and so just because you know it is still a U.S. based show, so I have to think about who my next Canadian will be. Maybe Brian Burke or Carolyn Cameron. I got might have to stay in the Rogers family. I have to think about who that's. Uh, you're big on your sports um, company you guy. All right. 
Uh, all right, Adnan, listen. Adnan and Mike, best of luck with this. Uh, Cadence is a great company to work for uh, as I company man it up here. But they really are good, actually. Their producers are great, and uh, and they will they treat their talent well. So I appreciate that. And Thank they're, you. They're, um, they're producing and, uh, Jamel's podcast as well. You kept making that clear. Spotify, right? But Cadence is actually producing Jamel's yeah, podcast. Yeah, I said it. Adnan, I'm always transparent when there's some kind of uh, – uh, a connection to a podcast I'm doing where I may work for them. Yes, in this case, Cadence 13, my podcast company, yeah. is doing yours. And as I said last time, they're doing Jamel's. Yeah. I mean, I'm very low profile compared to you two and Jamel, <laughs> but we, we all are on the same uh, – we're well, all in the same boat. We we have uh, right. access to the numbers. We're already going to see a spike with sports media listeners specifically. Go. This is huge. We'll take it, Rich. I'll get, you know, I might get you one or two influencers. <laughs> so you're welcome for that. All right, Adnan and Mike, continued success. Thank you for joining me today Thanks, on Richard. the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, man. Enjoy Second Cup. All right. Uh, it's a person who does not need any introduction for this podcast. It is John Orant of the Sports Business Daily, Sports Business Journal, and the, uh, the new newsletter that John and Michael Smith are putting out, which is, uh, I mean, the, it's captured the country's attention, John. It's the hottest newsletter out there that you and uh, Michael are doing. In, in well, all honesty, it's really, really good. I think, attention anyway. Yeah. I think you have to be a sports business daily slash journal subscriber. But uh, if you are and you're listening to this, get that newsletter that John and Michael put out uh, uh, during the week. It's actually really good. They go behind the scenes on some of their reporting and uh, it's written in sort of a uh, – uh, like a sort of a featurey style. I really like it. So no bullshit there, John. Actually, uh, the the newsletter's been great. Keep it up, and uh, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. The newsletter we, we shouted out Alex Miller, Bill Hoffheimer, Greg Hughes. Like uh, every PR that's out there, just about gets a shout out at, at one point or another in the, in the newsletter. Wow! And, and once again, John, you have continued to set yourself up for future. Uh, uh, future leaks from, from those places to get some stories. So congratulations. Whatever I can do. Whatever uh, I can do. Uh, oh, wait. I'm sorry. ESPN doesn't leak. I, I was told that. My bad. Right. Um, okay. Moving on. ABC, John, is um, based on your reporting, I think based on just what is, uh, what is in the wind, so to speak. It's very clear that ESPN is going to be bidding big for an NFL package. The most interesting thing to me, though, is what ABC's role will be. And I know you've been reporting this, and I know you're going to be reporting this, as both of us will be heading forward. As we talk now, and today is April 23rd, give me the temperature, give me sort of a prediction of, of, of what, you think AB, what, what you think ABC might get when the NFL ultimately divvies up its packages. Um, I don't think ABC has any interest in uh, the Sunday afternoon packages. Um, I think it comes down to sort of a really inside baseball broadcast uh, reason in that CBS owns so many more local stations, uh, CBS and Fox owns so many more local stations. ABC, they don't, they don't own as many local stations. So, so it, it doesn't make as much financial sense for them to, to, to take over sort of Sunday afternoons and have those local telecasts. So my view is that ABC is t- really taking a look at the primetime packages. I think that they could, you know, they pay double what NBC pays. So, you know, they, they, they could make a run at Sunday night football. I think that's unlikely, but uh, that, that they would get it, uh, considering that it, Sunday night football has been the top-rated primetime show on, uh, on television for, you know, years running. I can't, can't imagine the NFL taking that away from NBC or NBC letting that go. But I can see him looking at Thursday night football. I could even see some sort of hybrid where Monday night football comes over to the, the broadcast channel. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, they're the primetime packages that are out there. And ESPN slash ABC slash Disney has made it completely clear that they want ABC to be part of the Super Bowl rotation and they want ABC to be part of the, the live sports uh, arena. So I, I expect that they're going to be pretty aggressive over one or more of those packages. All right, so let's talk about this because this is pretty interesting to me. I think the NFL would love to have Monday Night Football on ABC. You know, it's a network. The ratings, the viewership is going to be up inevitably. But to me, at least sort of looking at that, that would really hurt ESPN in terms of the value of that cable channel. And that's far and away their most valuable property, most watched property. How much of a risk would it be for ESPN to put that, um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, in front of the paywall? where you reduce, in theory, the value of ESPN, or in 2019, 2020, 2022, 2022, does that not matter? 
I think that there, there is a little bit of a risk. It is the most watched programming that, that's on ESPN consistently. But if you take a look at, at ESPN, they have you know the NBA playoffs right up into the finals are on ESPN. The uh, the college football championship is on is on ESPN. All of the uh, you know, uh, college football bowl games are on uh, ESPN. So I think ESPN still has with, without you know a three hour window, sixteen. Uh, Monday nights a year, they they still have just a tonnage of of important sports that that would keep people connected to to cable. So I I don't see it as a, an existential uh, risk, but I uh, I do think that there is a little bit of a risk there. One thing, John, that makes total sense to me is for ABC to become part of the Super Bowl rotation. I know that the ESPN executives would be you know clearly over the moon if that happened. The marketing might that ESPN would put towards the Super Bowl. Uh, if you thought the Tim Tebow stuff in 2012 was uh, was over the top, please wait. If if ABC, ESPN ever gets a Super Bowl, but I actually think it's it would be smart for the NFL, um, in part for that reason. I think the first Super Bowl that ESPN ever got, I think they would blow it out like no other network would blow it out. I think they would pay essentially whatever the NFL wanted. So the only thing you really have to negotiate if you're in the NFL is um, is Fox and CBS and NBC. Obviously, not wanting that because they wouldn't want to push their rotation back a year. But like, they don't really have any leverage to me, John. Like, at the end of the day, all those guys want the Super Bowl, and they're going to basically, if the NFL says dance, they're going to dance. So, to me, again, not knowing what ESPN ABC will bid, I think that's almost a lock. I cannot see that not happening because I think it works. I think it's a it's a win win for both the NFL and ESPN ABC. How do you view that? Uh, I wouldn't quite put it as a lot. What if what if uh, Monday Night Football stays on ESPN? Then would, would ABC get a, in the Super Bowl rotation? Then uh, I would say it's pretty well, likely, but it's, it's it's hardly a lock, right? Well, but here's the thing, John. Uh, think of the your buddies with Burke Magnus and Jimmy Pitaro. I know you guys go out to dinner sometimes. Burke Magnus, a Holy Cross graduate. Burke Magnus is that right? Course. Did not know that. Yeah. But I mean, John. Yeah. John, in all in all honesty. I don't think there's a price ABC, ESPN would not pay for that Super Bowl. That's why I think it's a lock. I, I, I don't, I actually don't think, I don't think there's a cost they wouldn't pay to be in the rotation. And if that's the case, and we all know the NFL at the end of the day uh, usually makes its decisions on this stuff uh, based on who, who provides the best monetary package, I think they're going to get it. You know what's fascinating about this conversation to me, Richard, is – I don't I'm know. Sure I, don't, I have no idea because I'm not sure it's that fascinating. So go ahead. <laughs> Is anybody still awake out there? <laughs> if uh, if you go back to a year ago, and we were having this discussion, uh, or maybe a, a little bit more than a year ago, what, but when when John Skipper was around, I was going to bet that ESPN was go, was going to walk away from the NFL. That they that yes, they didn't see the absolutely. NFL as 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 uh, something that they really wanted. They were they were focused on growing sports like. Uh, uh, like the NBA or or, uh, or soccer of some sort, um, uh, uh, one of the soccer leagues. Um, but you know, since Jimmy Pitaro came on board, the first thing that he wanted to do was repair the relationship with the NFL. We're seeing the the we're seeing that now with ABC going all out for the NFL draft. I mean, the, the, I, I'm really interested to see how they how they do the NFL draft. Um, I, I think that Jimmy Pitaro's main thing has been to repair the relationship. I think that their their schedule that they have the next Monday night is, you know, probably better than they've had in, in previous years. It still is, you know, the, the cable schedule, so it doesn't compare to Sunday Night Football, but it's a, it's a pretty pretty decent schedule with, you know, um, good rivalry game. Like Dallas Giants, like they have good sort of rivalry games in there. And I, I just think – the difference of this year and where ESPN is and what you just said, they'll pay whatever it takes to get the Super Bowl. Skippers ESPN, they wouldn't have paid whatever it takes to get the Super Bowl. They, they, they would have had, they would have thought that they had the leverage and the NFL should, should beg ABC to carry the Super Bowl at, at, at some point. So it's a, it really is an interesting um, switch that's happened with the, with those two. Yeah. The P, the P, the ESPN sort of POV and approach to the NFL has changed dramatically. I think they did that obviously for business reasons. Um, we'll see, um, if they can sort of still navigate that line between journalism on the NFL and um, and being, you know, an NFL rights holder. So far, they've done a pretty good job, but we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens when that package um, 
you know, when that package comes up, it, uh, the, the NFL the NFL bidding is going to be really, really interesting to me. Johnny, you, you did mention the draft. Uh, that's my piece this week for The Athletic. And I think they're going to do a great job on the draft. Um, the one thing that, if you're a draft viewer, that this year is better maybe than any other year is just the amount of the amount of options that you have. If you do the ABC broadcast, it's going to be a little more entertainment-based, a little more feature-based. But you have the college game day crew. Is, uh, along with Robin Roberts. So you have a, a totally different sort of approach and viewpoint to the draft. It's going to be a little more flash, more entertainment, more um, the, the journeys of the players versus how the players might fit into a certain team. And then the ESPN uh, broadcast is going to be its traditional broadcast, very X's and O's. And then, of course, you have the NFL Network, which does a great job on the draft and has their own ethos. So I think um, the NFL is going to be psyched. Because the NFL is going to get a good viewership number. I think it'll be down because this draft is not as star-laden as last year's draft. But they're going to be psyched with what the coverage is because I think ABC is going to provide them with a little glitz and glamour that they have not had before. So say what you want about Pataro. He has done the charter that Disney wanted, and that is to rehab this relationship with the NFL. The NFL is saying the right things with ESPN. And I'm going to still... Again, we'll, John, we'll, we'll, we'll have this podcast two years from now. I think ESPN, ABC is getting a Super Bowl. We'll see if, I, see if my um, prediction turns out to be a lock. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's, I mean, that, let, let, let's say that I would, I would bet that they get a Super Bowl, too. I'm just uh, – my odds uh, are, are a little bit uh, worse than yours. But, okay. but I, I still think they're getting a Super Bowl. John, top line for the NFL schedule, what uh, – what stood out to you? To me, um, the and this is not a big surprise, but the Browns have become a national darling. Uh, the NFL needs the Bears to do well. Five now primetime games for them. And you mentioned earlier in this podcast, I thought Monday Night Football got an excellent schedule. The great thing about all these uh, uh, post-schedule stories like you've done is every network executive is going to say, we love our schedule, great job in the NFL. But, but the reality is I actually think ESPN got a very, very good schedule. Yeah, and the thing that I'm I'm looking at is uh, I thought ESPN got a good schedule. I thought that uh, the Sunday night football schedule was, was was really good. The thing that really interests me is the cross flex. You know, where uh, CBS is getting traditional N- NFC games, um, and the NFC is so strong this year, and the matchups are so strong this year that uh, CBS ended up getting many more of those cross flex games than they had in, in, in the past. And that suggests to me the next time the rights come up. Is there going to be an AFC package and an NFC package, or is it just going to be like you know Fox is buying a package and CBS is buying a package? And I, I think that that's a that's something that I don't think the NFL has has answered yet. Uh, I don't know if they've even looked into it, but I think you can see that by the way that the cross flex has been growing over the years that that's something that uh, that that could potentially happen. Yeah, I like the cross flex. I know CBS likes the cross flex, and you know what? Maybe that. I think that's a way for the NFL to make more money. If you if you eliminate the AFC and NFC as packages and sort of just do some kind of combo platter, you're gonna be able to charge networks more for both. Because obviously yeah, it, CBS except for the fact that I think Fox would pay through the nose for the NFC, so they pay a for lot sure. more just to make sure that they have those big markets there. But yeah, if you, if you made them even right. and everybody paid more, yeah, you could get more. I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, you know, and they're gonna have to obviously calculate like. Do they think viewers will be impacted by, uh, you know, they always sort of, if you're in an and if you're in an NFC city, you have always been used to having your game on your Fox affiliate, and if that changes, but I, again, I think in 2021, where people are getting and watching the NFL on so many different platforms, I, I'm not sure that matters anymore. That you know, you're you have to change from Fox to CBS because. You, you might not even be watching on conventional television or, or a certain kind of cable package. All right, before we get to the RSNs, which I know you've been working on for a while, I do want to get your sort of top-line thoughts on what you made of the CBS-WNBA deal. To me, um, I think it's great for the WNBA. I don't know what CBS is paying them. I'm sure they're paying them some kind of fee. I don't think it's a, it's a time buy or anything. But I think it's really, really good for that league to get another – uh, major network involved in their content. I think 
that league is really interesting. Obviously, I'm a big women's basketball fan, so I'm sort of biased here. But I, I like any league, John, that has the best players in its sport. Like it's the top league in the world. And the WNBA is the top, is the best in its sport in the top league in the world, and that's always though that's always a property I would invest in for the long term. I'm sure it's not a big dollar play for CBS. I think it's a win win for everybody. Yeah, I uh, I hate calling things a win win, but I th- I think that may, that might be the case here. Um, the uh, I I I I've, the games primarily came from NBA TV, so ESPN will still have its its games. And now CBS Sports Network will have its games. I'm sure that CBS Sport. I don't know the specifics of the deal, but I'm sure that there's a uh, at least a small license fee that CBS is paying for the NBA. They're establishing a relationship with a new network that they've had that they really haven't had a relationship with in, in many years. Uh, so that that works out. And for CBS Sports Network, they're really trying to get more live sports on on their. Um, uh, on their air and, and w- w- whatever it takes to bring it over. And they know they're not going to get like an NFL package or an NBA package on CBS sports network, at least not right now. But like this, this is a package of, you know, the, the uh, TV executives always talk about, you know, the, the uh, bar test. You know, if you're walking by a bar and you look up, you know, do you have a studio show on or do you have live sports and people gravitate to that live sports. And I think that's, that's the way that CBS sports network is looking at this. You're going to have live games, with known brands and um, Alana Deladon from uh, from the Washington Mystics down here. I mean, they're they're good games, uh, high quality games, and I think that they think that you know the viewership's not going to go through the roof, but I think that they can get a, a good core, uh, stable group of viewers for it. Yeah, forty live WNBA games. Uh, it's a multi year deal, so that's always actually good for the league if they could sort of extend beyond and yeah we'll see again i'm i'm with you uh, cbs sports network is not rated so we couldn't even tell you what the viewership would be for any cbs sports network property but it's not going to be massive but again to to have a relationship now with cbs sports i think is good for for both parties um and so most we'll, you know that's sort of one to watch but uh uh, I, I, the WNBA has a lot of really, really great athletes, so I'm good. I'm glad to see that they're getting a little bit more, um, a little bit more of uh, exposure and push. All right, John, the RSN, the RSN story is going to change. We're we're taping this on April 23rd, and from your reporting, whatever you discuss now could honestly be different by the time people start listening to this podcast. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc. The last thing that was reported, man, might have been your reporting, was Sinclair has placed the biggest of the bids for the you know the Fox RSNs, said to be more than ten billion. They they are considered the front runner, obviously given their sort of might and weight. Where where does this stand now? And if you had to handicap it, how far ahead is Sinclair at the moment? Richard, I'm wondering what I'm going to write about in a month when this is all done, because uh, I've been dining on this story for for, for quite a while. Um, the, the, we're at the we're at the tail end now. It looks like of the, um, of the sale process. Um, the next really 24 hours from when this uh, post is really going to tell us whether or not Sinclair gets it because Sinclair uh, put in a, uh, the biggest bid, or whether Disney goes back to. Um, you know, Liberty and Sinclair and says, okay, you know, you're, it's a two horse race now, you know, let, let, let's see what, uh, what, what you can do to sort of sweeten your, your offers. Um, I, I think that, uh, the problem with Sinclair is that, uh, Sinclair paid by Tribune, uh, media, uh, last summer. And they, they really rankled a lot of people in, in federal Washington, some of the regulators and, the, and, in did that poison the well for them to have such a big to have such a big purchase now go through uh, federal regulators? Well, federal regulators need to take a look at it. Is another question. And if that's the case, then Liberty's still sitting there in the offing. Liberty did not have as big a bid, but they have a pretty significant bid, and they have people like John Malone and uh, Greg Maffei and and uh, MLB is is partnered up with them. And so it's you know where the tail end. If I had to bet right now, I would bet Sinclair gets it. Um, that's what that's what it looks like. But anything can happen. And one thing about John Malone is like he knows how to close these types of deals. And, uh, and you know we'll we'll see how that that, that works out. We we don't know yet. And uh, it's it, it's a fun, it's a fun story to be reporting on. 
John, uh, confirm this for me because I think this is the case. When it comes to Sinclair, how they sort of put their sports programming, uh, I know they have the Tennis Channel. They, I think they have Ring of Honor. Believe they were gonna, they, they they're gonna be part of whatever the Cubs sports network is. They they are generally speaking, am I correct about this? Sort of their sports presentation is gonna be different than their news presentation. And I I think you know very clearly, I think they have a certain POV when it comes to news. But at least from what I've seen, and again, this is sort of my I don't have Sinclair here, so my minimal sort of look is that the sports division is is clear from or very different than the news division or, or you tell me basically, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, the, the news division has a very conservative bent to it. And, and the sports, the sports division, they, they've owned uh, tennis channel for about three years now. And I don't think anybody can, can see any, any hint of politics coming in there. They're, they're producing sports. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, one, one of the things about Sinclair though, is, you know, their local stations that they own, you know, that, you know, they're now going to be able to, go to distributors like, you know, Comcast and Charter and all the all these other cable and satellite operators and say, okay, we have our local station, we have tennis channel, and now we have an RSN to go with it. And all of a sudden, like the negotiations to try to to, to jam all of those onto uh, the cable systems is going to be interesting to see. They have a lot of leverage going up against the, uh, going up against distributors, a lot more leverage than I, I would say uh, just somebody like Liberty has. All right, the last one I want to hit, and again, if there's anything else you want to hit uh, before we get out of here, please let me know. And that was this uh, thread, this Twitter thread I saw from Abigail Disney, who I believe she's either the daughter or the granddaughter of uh, Roy Disney, the founder of Disney. And she really, I think, smartly, uh, aggressively, poignantly uh, went off on Bob Iger's 2018 compensation uh, 65 million or so in relation to sort of the rank and file employees at Disney. And I tweeted out there, this is sort of my thought that, um, you know, if you're an, if you're an ESPNer who's been laid off in the last five years and you see Iger's compensation, no one's doubting Iger's success, obviously. He's, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, you know, the acclaimed CEOs of our time. And he certainly put Disney in a great position. No one's arguing that, but, It'd be very hard for me if I was one of these people who was laid off for ESPN two years ago to look at uh, Bob Iger's compensation and to sort of try to rectify, like, hey, why why did ESPN let me go with my ninety thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand dollar or forty thousand dollar salary? And I just wonder again, from your world, and you cover sort of the business end more than me, if you one saw this Abigail Disney thread and two if you correlated it all to ESPN. Yeah, I saw, I saw the uh, uh, Disney thread. Uh, I, I found it to be interesting. The thing about executive compensation is that, you know, it, it, it was not Iger's salary. Um, it's going to sound like I'm going to defend $65 million, which I'm not defending. But it, it's uh, it, the, that type of compensation is, if not standard in the media business, uh, it, it happens. It happens a lot. I, I think, you know, David Zaslav over at Discovery had a compensation that I think it exceeded a hundred million um, last year, and, and you know I, I didn't really uh, look at it vis-a-vis ESPN. I think that you know you can do that with you know Stephen A. Smith's new contract. Like oh well, if he makes you know whatever he's going to make, you know, and, and they just laid off people two years ago. Um, it's a big issue, I think. Uh, executive compensation. It's it's something that uh, a lot of companies and boards uh, struggle with, but it's not unique to Disney. It's not unique to uh, uh, to the media business, um, but but it is something that when when you read Disney that that Disney thread, it it, it is something that's just eye opening, and, and I think she makes a lot of good points that that are very you know populist points that um, that that I mean take a look at the retweets on that that, that really seem to gener- uh, re- resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, uh, it's it's an uh, I, I I understand that CEOs. I sort of at the end of the day, you're worth what somebody pays you. I get that, but there's a lot of in that in those positions, you're ultimately shaping what your salary is, and it's very hard to swallow to see the numbers that Bob Iger is pulling down. Um, when again, there are layoffs throughout his company. It's just that is a. It feels. No, it doesn't feel. It just. It's incredibly greedy 
in my opinion, especially yeah, not, for not only layoffs. Who has made that money? The, I think the point that the point that Disney was making was 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 that you know you, you go to the the lowest level employees and they're making you know just a hair above minimum wage. You know, the, the, right? There are people right. that could that that could really use that that uh, that that kick. And here's the thing, like, and this is, you know, I'm sure somebody at Disney would say this is unfair, but like, I expect better from Bob Iger and Disney. If you're going to walk the walk and preach that your company sort of stands for certain values, which Disney always has, then I feel like your CEO has got to walk that, including the salary. You know, there are companies that don't sort of proclaim the same kind of things that Disney does. They're just absolute capitalists. They don't, they're, they're, they don't apologize for their... Uh, for their greed, and not that I agree with it, but uh, you know, at least they're sort of transparent and honest. You know, Iger is sort of yeah. But where, where, that's, uh, where that's unfair is, is, is you can really go down the list of media CEOs. I mentioned as well. Yeah, earlier. agreed. Look, yeah, Brian, yeah. Is he, he's Roberts, not alone in this. Burke, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Listen, trust me. I worked uh, worked for many years for Time Warner, Time Inc., uh, and I saw the guys at the top of my company. I mean. They were basically stealing money. I'm not going to lie to you, John. It was pretty gross. You know, we'd have layoffs all the time at Time Inc., and these guys were just pulling home not the not Iger money, but but still millions of dollars. Um, and that's pretty hard to swallow. Uh, I'm all, I'm of the belief that a a company's CEO, you know, should be whatever, you know, six seven times more than the lowest paid. So whatever it should be a number that's more realistic than than what the um, than what the Iger number is. Anyway, it's a longer discussion and. Uh, you know, I'm sure I've lost. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I've lost some people in the Disney C suite from <laughs> from listening to this podcast. Somehow, I'll, I'll get through the day. All right, John, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we get you uh, before we get you out of here? Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm good on. I'm good today. All right. Any other podcast appearances that I should know about? Uh, I have not been contacted by uh, by uh, Jimmy Trana in, in a while. I, I hope I didn't say something last time. What about uh, Glass Beagle or Brian Curtis or anyone else who has uh, no, a listen, media podcast? I, I just want everybody to know I'm open for business. I'm America's podcast uh, <laughs> guest, you know. And uh, anybody who wants to call, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to come on. All right, you're you're. I, I admire your shameless promotion there to, to put yourself. <laughs> All right, John John Orand is uh, the media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. Check out his work. He will be all over this RSN uh, story. By the way, uh, John, uh, let me let me just sort of, before we get out of here, Mike McCarthy uh, of the Sporting News reported that Peyton, the, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, my sense is, because McCarthy, I feel like he's been writing about this forever, he's probably got it, um, that Peyton Manning will not be doing Monday Night Football. Do you have any, have you heard that, any confirmation? But McCarthy put that out there, which means then... We are not too far away, I think, from ESPN making a decision on whatever that booth is going to be. Yeah, McCarthy uh, 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 was one that broke it. I think he broke it on Monday, and uh, it, it, it checks out. He's completely right. My only quibble uh, with with Mike's report is that um, I don't. ESPN did approach Manning. They wanted to see if Manning was going to do it. I think anybody. That that's close to Peyton Manning knew that he was not going to take it. I mean, yeah. to describe this as a long shot is, is 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 to give it too many too good of odds. I mean, this was this was something that was written about uh, quite a bit, and it was never close to possibly happening. So I so the fact that he's not going to do it is hardly a, a big surprise to me. But I, I did find it interesting that that ESPN did go, and to me, this is what we talked about earlier with Pataro trying to improve relations with the NFL. They want to get good, and they're going to pay for good, high-quality talent to do uh, Monday Night Football. And, and, and they, they wanted to send a message to the NFL. Like, yeah. Go, wow, that's, that's, how, that's how it got so public, but it, it was never going to happen. Very, yeah, very smart, to, very smart to approach Manning, even if he says no, and but quite frankly, very smart for whoever leaked that to leak that because it makes ESPN uh, come off that they're swinging for the fences. But, uh, yeah, like you... I feel like if Peyton Manning was going to take a broadcasting job, one, that would have happened, and two, I think he would have taken a non-ESPN job because I think he could have had a network job, which I think ultimately um, might have been more appealing for him. But it, that, it's, again, one to watch to see if it's just Tessa Torn McFarland or if they uh, if they add a third. I do think Tessa Torn McFarland are coming back. That would just be my guess. And then, you know, we'll see 
we'll see if they add a third or if they just go with with those two. Um, all right, John. Listen, see, the thing with Thank- Peyton, the thing with Peyton too is like Ro- Romo ruined it for everybody because you know, correct. Typically, in the past, Peyton would have come. He would have done the studio show for a year or two, and then maybe done the, the second or third team on Fox or CBS, and sort of worked his way up to the, the to the top spot. But now it's sort of you know, let's get him and let's get him in the top spot. And there's no top spot to be filled at CBS, Fox, or NBC. So, so it would have had to have been uh, ESPN unless he was going to accept that smaller role, which I think a lot of people don't want to do because they saw what happened with uh, with Romo. Yeah, and if you're if you're whether you're Peyton Manning or Witten or whoever else, now you're inevitably going to be compared to Romo, and you just have to sort of accept that and have, um, you know, be able to work around not sort of getting obsessed with media coverage or reading Twitter and stuff because. You know, you're you're now going to be compared to arguably the um, not arguably in my opinion that he's already established himself as the best NFL NFL analyst of all time on television, and so that's you know if you're Peyton Manning, you probably don't need that headache. You're already you know you're Peyton Manning. You've got money. You can sort of do whatever you want. I don't know if you need to come in and sort of deal with those comparisons unless you really really want to be a broadcaster. Anyway, good. So we we just gave Mike McCarthy a nice little shout out there for three minutes, John. Uh, have an excellent day. Uh, we will all be watching your Twitter feed to see if 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 you're if you're right there with the RSN breaking news story. I'm I'm rooting for you. I hope that doesn't get uh, dropped in someone else's lap. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm going for it. Going whole hog. <laughs> yes. Unlike me, John, I'll just be watching the Maple Leafs and the Raptors with no interest in the RSN story. All right, John O'Rand, <laughs> everyone. All right, thanks, John. Thanks, man. All right, uh, back in the studio real quick. My thanks to uh, Mike Lombardi, Adnan Verk, and John O'Rand for their thoughts. If you like this kind of content, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. Please leave us a review and a rating. And that is how the, uh, that's how the podcast sticks around. Um, the guests before this group, Jamel Hill and Rick Riley. I think you will find that episode really, really interesting. Ron McLean of Hockey Night in Canada. Jason Benetti of uh, White Sox and... Uh, ESPN on his resume and before that Renee Young and Paul Heyman on life in the WWE and Paul Heyman explaining how uh, one can pull off effective communication and if you have ever watched professional wrestling very few people better communicators than Paul Heyman and then just go down the list if you're interested from Daniel Jeremiah to Michael Kay to uh, you know not sort of you know, again you can if you're interested in this kind of stuff just go through that whole list and I think you'll enjoy a lot of the conversations we've had. All right. Thank you again, as always, to Terrence Malagon. Thanks to the Cadence 13 folks. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.